Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 81st edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, where we give the U.S. rock fan, the U.K. fan's perspective, and vice versa. And we appreciate you tuning in the last couple of weeks, which have been very special to us. We've had this great run of interviews with people who we idolize and love growing up and now have a chance to talk to. Episode 79, we spoke with Jeff Downs of Yes and Asia and Buggles fame, talking about the uh, Close to the Edge Tour 50, which is going on in the UK and Ireland right now, and it's going to push its way around the world later this year. I'm going to be seeing them live here at Royal Albert Hall here real soon. I can't wait for that. Uh, And of course, the next week, we talked to Carl Palmer, obviously of Emerson Lake and Palmer, but Asia founding member as well. And he was a great guy. He had some great stories talking about what they went through to make Asia in Asia live at the Budokan and the box set that goes along with it now. Just great stories of being on the road and, and drumming over all these great years. And this week, we have another amazing drummer, a legendary drummer whose career, God, it's hard to compare it to anybody else because he's been around so long. He's played with so many different kinds of people, super groups, huge touring acts, big recording groups, and he's played with all of them over, what, seven decades now, six decades? It's pretty amazing what he's been able to do. I'm talking about Chris Slade. Now, most Americans will remember Chris Slade as the bald, wicked, crazy drummer from ACDC's Razor's Edge album, who had those two big bass drums on either side of his kit that he would hit with his sticks for Thunderstruck, right? So that's where most people remember him. He's got the shaved head. He was the really the first that I can remember rock and roller to ever shave his head back in the 80s. But that probably wasn't the first time you ever saw Chris. You might have seen him in The Firm, the supergroup with Jimmy Page, Paul Rogers, and Tony Franklin, which we love here on The Wolf. And we think they didn't get, well, they almost didn't get a chance to do what they really could have done. But that's the problem with supergroups. People have other options. You may have seen him tour with David Gilmore. You may have seen him in Manfred Mann's Earth Band back in the 70s as they toured all over the place. And he's got some stories being on the road with them and Kiss that we're going to share. But he's a Welshman. And he started his career with another Welshman, Tom Jones, back in the 60s. There's a great picture of him and Tom and Elvis back in the day when he actually had hair, which I encourage you to check out on his website, chrisslade.com. But he is touring this year. He is kind of doing the 10th anniversary tour of the Chris Slade timeline, where he and uh, some chaps he's been with for a while get together and play songs from his entire career. There is a lot of ACDC, but he's touring the UK and Europe this summer and this fall. So we thought we'd catch up with him, ask some questions that we always wanted to ask over the years, Uh, and let people know that he is touring at where you can see him this summer and fall. Now, long-time listeners know that we are part of the Pantheon podcast family of podcasts. It's about 100 music podcasts, some fantastic producers and hosts, getting great guests from all genres. We always like to give uh, shout-outs to our buddies in the rock and roll genre. Either we've been on their show or they've been on ours, and that includes Paul Stevenson from Vintage Rock Pod, uh, Jay Scott from The Hook Rocks, and of course, the Shout It Out Loud guys, Tom and Zeus. Tom, we are still thinking about you. Uh, we love you. Uh, and hopefully, we'll be able to check in with you here soon. You can see them all at PantheonPodcast.com or at Pantheon Pods. So proud to be part of that family. And so proud to be growing our show here with yet another, to us, a legend. I mean, I got to tell you, Thunderstruck alone makes this man a legend because when I was 17 and that song came out and that video came out, they're basically in the Mad Max Thunderdome and they're all chanting thunder and you see this madman with his bald head and this crazy grin on his face like beating those big bass drums on either side of his kit. It's like, wow, that guy is something else. Would you look at that guy? But you knew if he's in the firm, we got to ask him about Jimmy Page. We got to ask him about Paul Rogers and David Gilmore. My goodness, Gary Moore, so many amazing people that he's played with all the years. And and that just shows you how great he is. If he could be playing for seven decades, basically, be in demand that long, play with some of the best musicians on the planet, then you know he's got the goods. He's a very charming man. He's very generous with his time uh, and with his stories. So why don't we get into it here? This is Mac B, the Wolf, talking with Action Jackson and the legendary Chris Slade right here on The Wolf. (laughs) 
Oh, and by the way, this is Action Jackson joining us here. Chris came on a little early, so we just kind of been rapping a little bit here, Jackson. Oh, okay. Okay. Just okay. want to make sure I wasn't late. How are you, sir? Hi. Hi. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. Uh, do you go by Action? You can call me that. Absolutely. Okay. And are you, are you Mac, Mac? Yes, I am Mac right. uh, or Mac B or the wolf, or, you know, I've been called a lot worse. So if I say something to insult you, you just let it rip, Chris. Yeah, me me too, me too. (laughs) For our listeners, and and to kind of give you a little bit about us, the Ugly American Werewolf in London, I am an expat. I live here in London. I'm a huge rock fan. And I'm trying to give the U.S. rock fan the U.K. perspective, right? How it's different here than it is there, why some bands make it, one place and some bands don't. For uh, instance, you know, Oasis, biggest band to come out of England in the last 30 years. But in America, yeah, they had a couple of hits. They're okay. Whereas Def Leppard from Sheffield, huge two diamond selling albums in America. Over here, yeah, they could probably get arrested somewhere if they were acting up, but it's not quite the same, you know, so. Yeah, the same with status quo. Yes, absolutely true. Yes. Huge here. No one even knows who they are in America, you know, so. No. Did a show with them once, actually, with Earth Band. Did a show with Status Quo. Did you really? They were supporting us, believe it or not. Well, no, I do believe that. I mean, the the Man for Man Earth Band was a big touring act in the 70s. Had hits on the radio and and headlining tours and part of big packages in America and Europe. So I believe that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how this business works. It is. Uh, and, and one time, you know, you may be at the bottom of the bill, and within months you may be at the top of the bill, and then in years uh, you may be back down. You never know. You know? Yeah. Oh, uh, there you go. Kiss opened the show for us once. Their first tour ever. I, I saw that in a documentary of theirs. They said, they said, yeah, we, we were underneath the bill. We're underneath Man for Man. We're underneath Ted Nugent. You know, we're underneath Uriah Heep, another band you played with. And then within a couple of years, they're Kiss, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Same show. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, look, I, I want to talk about uh, some of the touring you're doing. This summer, you've got some gigs coming up in the UK and continental Europe, kind of throughout the fall. Uh, but for our listeners, I want them to understand this legendary career that you've had, you know, starting back in the 60s. You're born in Wales, kind of post-World War II. And, and then in the 60s, when the world is changing, you, you come across, uh, you know, a guy, I don't think it's his real name, but he goes by the name of Tom Jones. Or is that his, his real name? Is that a stage name? I'm not even sure. It's... Uh... A mixture of both, actually. Okay. Jones was his mother's uh, maiden name, and uh, his name is Thomas John Woodward. Gotcha. So when an agent signed him up, he signed Thomas John Woodward, and the agent said, what is that? What is that? Is it Tom Jones? He said, no, no, it's Thomas John. He said, well, that's your name from now on, Tom Jones. Lights up a marquee, doesn't it? Yep. And, of course, the film, which is ancient history to most people, called Tom Jones, was out then, and that was a huge hit. Oh, sure. And uh, Tom sort of fitted the bill, too, being the, uh, how can I say, liking ladies a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And they've reciprocated that, from what I understand. (laughs) Uh, You could say that. Well, there's a great shot of you on your website with you and Tom and Elvis in the 60s there, maybe in Las Vegas. Not surprising that you would be hanging out with Elvis if you were with Tom, but considering I only know you as the shaved head, Chris Slade, to see you with the bold cut was, uh, well, it it was a little shocking to me at first, Chris. Yeah, uh, (laughs) can you believe it? Honest to God, that's the only day in my life that I had a bit, what's called a beetle cut. The only, the, o- the only single day in my entire life that I had a beetle cut. And you can see what's happened now. <laughs> Happens so to all of us. Did you just decide that was it and you were just going to shave it off after that? Or what, what made you get rid of the beetle cut? Yeah, well, I just had sort of slashed, well, all sorts of different things, actually. Slashed back hair, you know, sort of. I don't know how to describe them. I'm not into fashion very much, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was losing my hair in about uh, 80, 
one or something. And I was grey when I was 30. So when I was working with Gary Newman, I was, uh, there were a lot of young guys in the band. I was the oldest. I was probably 35 or something. I can't work. I can, I, I haven't worked it out, but um, I, for, for years, I'd been wanting to shave my head. Never had the courage. Okay. Uh, for many reasons. I'm a Zen Buddhist, if you like. And That's cool. It was all sorts of reasons. It was the hair loss, and it was working with young guys, and being a Zen Buddhist, and I went, oh, well. And my wife at the time just took my razor and went, zip. <laughs> and she started it at the front and she said well you gotta do it all now so i did and it's an iconic look you're kind of a a, a leader in that respect right a progenitor of me before rob halford did it before fish did it or peter gabriel uh, or, or anybody here you you were really the first one certainly the first person i ever saw on mtv with a shirt uh, yeah, definitely that Definitely that. I see it now and drummers are all, you know, a lot, a majority of drummers are bald. They think it goes with the look because of the MTV, maybe. Maybe uh, so. They go, maybe they go with the profession is what I should say. <laughs> the look goes with the profession of playing drums. All right. So while you're out with Tom Jones, I mean, are you touring the world? Are you doing Vegas stints? Are you hanging with the Rat Pack? I mean, what was that like through the, the mid to late 60s? No, touring the world, touring the world, most definitely. First of all, it was with the uh, the backing band of Tom Jones was called the Squires. Mm -hmm. So we were Tom Jones and the Squires. And that went on for a couple of years, touring the US, actually, as well as the rest of the world, Europe, Australia, everywhere with the Squires. And then the Squires went and I was asked back to Tom Jones. Okay. So, um, you know, that's, uh, it's the touring was, then I, when I went back with Tom, he was going full-time cabaret act, if you like, Vegas, Miami, mm -hmm. anywhere you, uh, that, uh, so, and just clubs in general, in, a, in the States. He concentrated more in the States, but of course he worked Europe as well. Sure. It was a great experience for me. Wonderful experience. One of the tours was, the, the backing band, if you like, backing orchestra, backing Tom, was the Count Basie Orchestra. Goodness. <laughs> and which was unbelievable for me because I was a jazzer to start with. So I, I learned jazz drums first. When I say learned, was able to play a little bit competently, I suppose. I'm more of a rock player, but I put my big band boots on to play rock even. <laughs> I know that sounds an anomaly, but you can ask the other drummers and I bet they'll say the same thing, uh, you know, because we're all sort of influenced by people like Buddy Rich, of my age, that mm -hmm. is, Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa and people like that, who are giants. So we learn from them. So I learned jazz first and sort of crept in. And when I joined... Tom Jones, we were a rock band, or shall I say, we were a rock and roll band. Right. Playing Jay Lee Lewis and Chuck Berry and Little Richard. And Tom was one of the very few people who could sing Little Richard authentically. You know, McCartney yeah, had a McCartney had a go at it, but uh, <laughs> didn't quite make it like, uh, Not like Tom that. did. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. So that was a blast from the past then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that must have been that must have been great for you to experience the Count Basie guys, because those guys were all like top notch, super top notch, top notch musicians to play for him. Yeah, absolutely. The band was incredible. They did a set on their own before we come on. Harold Jones. I believe it's Harold Jones, was on drums at that time. And I got to play one or two tunes with him to sort of uh, uh, go between Basie and Tom Jones. In fact, wow, an amazing thing happened. At, at the end of one of the shows, this guy comes up and I went, wow, it's Dizzy Gillespie. No. <laughs> yeah, it was towards the end. We did a week in Madison Square Gardens. Wow. And Dizzy Gillespie came up to me and offered me a recording session. That's amazing. Uh, so he was uh, impressed. 
It was amazing. Anybody who knows anything about jazz, Dizzy Gillespie is way, way up there with the giants. And uh, I think it was something like, uh, sorry, Dizzy, can't you see I'm busy? But I had to leave the next day. We were leaving New York, I remember now. So it was the end of the week and we had to go to another gig. And he wanted me to do a session like three days time. And I was, I'd be on the road. But wow, that was something for, um, to get Dizzy Gillespie to ask me to play drums <laughs> for him. Absolutely. Wow, something. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. Go, go so, so after, yeah. So I, I was going to say after that, I mean, touring, touring the States in the sixties must've been great just to see, you know, it was, was that the first time you had been over here or seeing America for the first time? No, I think we came with the squires, Tom Jones and the squires. Okay. Somewhere around mid sixties. I can't remember exactly when uh, we went to Miami first at the, uh, it's still there, the hotel. I can't remember the name of it. I saw it just a few years back, <laughs> but I can't remember it right now. But anyway, we did a, a week or two in Miami. Uh, I think we're in New York and I went to New York and thought, what the hell is this place? Because, <laughs> you know, back then in those days, it was dirty. It was rough, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it was like, Wow, is this America? I could <laughs> I could understand Miami being America, but New York City in the sixties, don't forget, I'm talking a hell of a long time ago. Yeah, that was a revelation. It's changed a lot now, I'm <laughs> I must say. That's for sure. Thankfully, um, yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I I remember the uh, the sewers steaming in the streets. You know yeah. that was a big uh, that was a big thing. Uh, those are fond memories for you, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so you you graduate on from Tom Jones. You, you start to do some things, uh, make a few bands of your own, and then in the early seventies, you kind of catch on with uh, with Manfred Mann, who had had the act throughout the sixties, but now he's going to grow, turn it into. Manfred Mann's Earth Band, and he had a really great run with them for, for most all that decade, you know, uh, seven or eight albums, some big hits in the States and, and worldwide. Were you just touring constantly throughout the 70s with Manfred Mann? Yep, yep. We were pretty much, thankfully, working all the time. If we weren't touring, we were making records. Another great experience because the band were able to be very creative So we were all writing. It had to be really good for one of our songs, the uh, Earth Band, to get on the record because Manfred was all about Bob Dylan and other songwriters. Renowned. Well, that came a bit later. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so we got into production. I mean, the band and Manfred, of course. He was the defining factor. And we were Manfred Mann to start with. Okay. And when we decided about six months into the band, we got to call it something else because it's not the pop band that Manfred Mann was in the 60s. In the 60s, yeah. And they were they had many hits, uh, probably in the States as well. I don't know that for a fact, but uh, I, I assume that's the case because they had dozens of number one hits in Britain, or certainly a lot. And in America, they had one or two, I think. So uh, we decided to change it, and uh, it was like, oh, we got a, it's got to rhyme with Manfred Mann. What's it going to be? And, and we had hat band, and we had <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of things. So we plumped then for Earth Band, which was my suggestion, by the way. All right. So uh, I have a habit of doing that. <laughs> I called the firm the firm, by the way, with Jimmy really? Page. Yeah. Wow. Well, what of course, Jimmy liked it and so did Paul. So uh, that's uh, Jimmy Page and Paul Rogers for the people that don't know. And we're going to want to talk about the firm. Don't don't you worry. As children of the yeah. MTV generation, we, we will get there. Right, right. <laughs> it was a great experience again. Of course it is. It's an experience being alive. Thank you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Well, okay, sorry. I, I, I mean, it's, you can't just skip. Oh, so you were in Manfred Man for eight years with lots of hits. Okay, great. Next. But <laughs> well, you've done so many things. I kind of wanted to understand a little bit more about the early 80s because you work with Gary Newman, who, again, is, is bigger over here in, in England than he is in America. In America, he's kind of cars, and that's it. And he doesn't need you or really any live drummer for cars. It's all very technological, that song. But... 
you played with Pino Palladino in his band and, and did some videos and touring. Plus, after that, then you worked with David Gilmore when he was shortly out of Pink Floyd. Were you looking for another permanent oh, gig then, or were you happy to kind of be, you know... He was still, David Gilmore was still in Pink Floyd when he did that. He just did a solo tour. Oh, right, right. And it was the full year, 1984. Okay. It was the full year I played with him. And it was a great experience because we were all, the band were all on the bus together. It okay. was a bus, bus, not a private plane. And it's just a great band. The cream of the crop, really. The people that were available in those days. Ralph Ravenscroft on saxophone. Mm. Uh, the guy who played um, Baker Street. Oh, okay. Jerry Rafferty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Jerry Rafferty, Baker Street. He was on sax, and uh, all the others were absolutely first-class musicians, as you would only expect from... Uh, oh, sorry, I'm including myself in that. Um, <laughs> not a thing I usually do. And David's uh, such a great guy, down-to-earth and very generous. Well, I mean... With everything, with his time, everything. That's that's excellent to know because we we are huge fans of of Pink Floyd, obviously, and David Gilmour. And to hear that he's a great guy in real life is fantastic. There's nothing worse than you know idolizing someone who turns out to be not a very nice person. So that's great to hear. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. In his case, he sold his house in London for about three million, gave it all to homeless. Wow, which. Shows the sort of, and he is that sort of person. Wow. That's... But uh, before I was with uh, Earth Band, by the way, mm -hmm. I worked with a, a film band called Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And the lead singer was Olivia Newton John. Yes. 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 Interesting. So, uh, that's, uh, I just thought I'd point that out. <laughs> a teenage Olivia Newton John? She must have been a kid in 1970 oh. <laughs> or 71. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know she was. She's is still a very good-looking lady. Oh yes. So that so there was a, there was a story about the David Gilmore band that he called you. You said yes, and then Jimmy Page called like shortly afterward. Yep, that's right. About okay. two hours later, I couldn't believe. I just I still can't believe it. What a would day. any would anybody believe that? <laughs> and that's true. That's absolutely true. I and thought I was. Both times I thought I was being led up the garden path <laughs> right. by a friend, you know? I don't oh, blame oh. Come on, Fred, I know it's you. <laughs> no, no, really, it is, it is uh, Jimmy Page, really. And, and, he called, wow. and he called you directly. It wasn't like a, it wasn't a uh, secretary or a, or a, uh, a somebody or working. Yeah, it was, it was. No, no, it was, uh, it was both of them, David Gilmore and Jimmy Page directly. Wow. Yeah. And there were no mobile phones in those days, of course. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this came direct to my house phone. Maybe there are some people out there that remember house phones. <laughs> there may be one or two. They went around, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, oh, the dial. Hey, you must be really old, man. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yes. A little older every year. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> and then Jimmy waited for you, though, right? I mean, he, he didn't say, oh, okay, well, he's booked with David now, so I'm going to have to go get somebody else. He's like, no, as soon as you're done with that, you can come see us, right? Yeah, well, again, I can't believe it. I thought honesty is the best policy. So I said, oh, you got wrong number, Jim. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I said, Jim, you, you won't believe this, but... Two hours ago, I committed to a, a tour with David Gilmore, and there was silence, and I thought, oh, that's the end of it then. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, that's all right. We'll wait. Me and Paul Rogers will wait. I looked at the phone. I just looked at the phone, like, you know, did he just say that? And yes, he had. And they waited in the end about six, nine months, I think, because the tour, the tour kept getting extended. The Gilmore tour kept getting extended and so in the end uh you know it started off as three month tour ended up as a nine month tour so uh well more than that actually it was the full year kind of think of it wow without uh research and i couldn't tell you when exactly it was but um i know it was 1984 
I don't know what months is what I mean. And, and you didn't know Jimmy Page before that. He was referred to you, or how did that? How did that uh, connection? How was that made? Uh, I don't think I had met Jim before then. No, the connection was made by a crew guy called okay. called Phil Carlo. He uh, suggested. I'd be the drummer for them. And I'm sure they did their research. Jimmy and Paul did their research. Check your references. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, that's uh, that's how that came about through Phil Carlo. Got it. Well, you, you mentioned everybody riding the bus together on the David Gilmore tour, but Jimmy doesn't seem like the type to ride the bus to me. Oh, I he is. He is. Oh, is he? Yeah. He's a very down-to-earth ordinary guy, believe it or not. <laughs> so he has an aura, but he, underneath all that, he's kind of a regular Joe, yeah? Yeah. Or Jim. We used to, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did use a plane. It was an old Dakota, which uh, has the best safety record of any plane ever. Okay. I don't think one has crashed ever as uh, at least that was the case a few years back okay i knew they like myself dakota's getting old now <laughs> so uh maybe something but they had a an excellent safety record so excellent. uh it was uh i remember that was a uh, we did travel by bus between you know de and depends where the show was i suppose but dakota was the the main way of traveling and, and what was that like uh, for you with the rhythm session with tony franklin he's got a very unique way of playing the bass oh he is fantastic you know he's called himself or his nickname is fretless monster that's right <laughs> and he is he is along with pino paladino who you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier on mm -hmm. another fretless monster they're both just tremendous and I've loved Fretless ever since, funny <laughs> enough. <laughs> Pino first. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, he's also Welsh. He's not, yeah. Ital he's not Italian like his name suggests. Ah, okay. He's, he's from Cardiff, Wales. Ah. And that's sort of how we met. When I was in Uriah Heap, which was uh, 81, 82, the singer was John Sloman of Uriah Heap. The singer then was John Sloman. Okay. okay who's a fellow Welshman from Cardiff. And he and Pino had a band together called Trapper. And they went to Canada and they met up with a keyboard player called Greg Deckard, who was the keyboard player through me with David Gilmore. I see. I, I put him forward, if you like, not through me. That was Dave's decision, David Gilmore's decision, sure. of course. So Pino was, I was introduced through John Sloman, who went to school with Pino, to Pino. And then Gary Newman asked me if I knew of any fretless players. Ah. And I said, I know just the band. <laughs> there weren't many around in those days. Well, that's right. There's not even now, actually, too many around who are really good anyway. And Pino is, you know, just like Tony, mm -hmm. just oh, unbelievable. You know, he's he replaced in the Who. Yes. You know, yeah. he's I, you know, I've seen him he play now. With yeah. 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 I don't think it's his ideal gig, to be honest. Uh, Style-wise, I mean, he's a very melodic player, but he does an amazing job. With the Who, and he did well. He always does an amazing job. He works for all worked for all sorts of people, like Don Henley and mm -hmm. Madonna, and because he is such a great musician, and so Tony as well. So we used to live within shouting distance in California. He still <laughs> he still lives in California. He's still there, yeah. And you know we keep in touch now and again. Hi, this is Carl Palmer, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf. Yeah, so it sounds like, especially, I mean, maybe now, maybe now because of the the internet and everything, but back in the day, there, uh, word of mouth was really the way that that everybody got gigs. You know, you knew somebody who knew somebody who was looking for a, a you know bass player, or drummer, or whatever, and then they would give them your name, and so. The fact that you can play and you're a good guy goes a long way because then that makes you in high demand. Absolutely. That's the way most things work. Do you know of a sax player? Do you know of a whatever? You know, in the old days, <laughs> there was a place in Water Street 
a cafe in Wardour Street, London, uh, called the Giaconda. I think it's an Italian or uh, Indian restaurant now. And that's where everybody went if they wanted a gig. Uh-huh. You go and have a coffee there and see what turned up. <laughs> and and so, who, who came through the door asking okay. for a drummer, bass player, whatever. I was going to say, so on the flip side, if you were looking for somebody, you would go in there and see who was available. Who was having a coffee? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And there'd be notices on the wall, you know, saying drummer needed, whatever, things like that. So the trouble is there's nowhere like that now because of the internet, of course. There's no forum, if you like, for musicians to say, hey, I'm not working with ACDC anymore. I'm available. You know, it don't exist anymore. So uh, on any uh, that I'm aware of, I mean, okay, you can go on Facebook and put your name out there, and but it's not the same as saying, I'm available for yeah. work, guys. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you and Tony made this incredible sound in the rhythm section of the firm. There's a story that Paul Rogers tells that, you know, Jimmy wanted to be in a band, and Paul said, no, look, I just got out of bad company. I was there for a long time. I don't want to get tied down. He goes, all right, well, we'll just do two records and two tours and that's it. But you know, if, if it had exploded, it probably would have lasted longer. Do you feel like you didn't get a, as much of a chance to really flesh that out? Because I saw some nice growth between the firm and Mean Business, especially with you and Tony. Are you a little upset that you didn't have a longer run with Tony and the boys on that? Yeah, it was upsetting at the time uh, because the The band, as you say, had so much potential. Mm -hmm. Tony and I actually recorded Purple Haze with him singing it. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We did it once or twice on a show, on live show, you know. He'd do a a bass solo and then we'd go into Purple Haze. And uh, that was fun. That was really fun. But the record company didn't want to know, of course. Of course. That goes back to your point, actually. It depends on the record company's support, whether a band or musician made it or not. It was all down to the record company. It was almost impossible without a record company. Yeah, and they put some money into your videos now. I mean, when you do like a a Live in Peace or, you know, Satisfaction Guaranteed, All the King's Horses, an amazing song, a cool video... They put money behind these songs. Of course, Radioactive was, was the biggest hit on the U.S. side. But it was it, at the end of the day, it's like we're just we're not going to push them overboard. It's like, yeah, this is not where we are right now. Glad to have Jimmy and Paul out there, but eh, this is not as huge as we'd hoped, so we're not going to put our money behind it. Is that what it is? Uh, to be honest, I don't know the business uh, side of the firm at all. You know, Paul and Jimmy handled that side. I just played drums. I was at the back making noise, you know? (laughs) Was it fun to make those videos, though? Or was that kind of bit like, well, now I'm performing with no audience and performing to a camera? Yeah. um, To be honest, no, it was quite natural just to be behind a drum kit. For me, anyway, put it that way. Mm -hmm. Just behind a kit playing. So, But it was, again, tremendous experience making videos like that. Uh, we made the odd one with Earthband and uh, did a few live TV shows with David Gilmore. Right. But, yeah, the video thing was, wow, huge back then. It's big enough now, but back then it was like when MTV came along, it was stupendous. <laughs> I mean, I used, I used to watch it all the time, of course, as all musicians did. I remember... Seeing a video once, I can't remember when I was on the road. I can't remember who I was on the road with, but I was in the States somewhere, and this band came on and played, and I thought, wow, that's great. I actually applauded on my own watching TV. (laughs) (laughs) And it was was ACDC. When he jumped off uh, the top of the sacks, and I can't remember which song now. Um, Did that blow up your video, Jackson? Yeah, it probably could, blow yeah, up your I video. Think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yes, it was blow up your video. Mm-hmm. And I actually applauded <laughs> sitting on the bed on my own <laughs> in my hotel room. <laughs> that shows you, you know. I was a fan of ACDC to start with. When Highway to Hell came out, I thought it was tremendous, which of course is my favorite song being Touched Too Much. Nice. And it was. 
quite amazing to be able to play that with them, you know, on a couple of occasions with Axel as well. So, we, but I'd probably jump in ahead of myself. Yeah, it's all right. No problem. That's okay. I'm sure Jackson wants to ask you about ACDC. All <laughs> kinds of ACDC questions. I, I guess that's the first question: is how did you how did you get hooked up with them? I auditioned along with every drummer on the planet. What? <laughs> Believe it or not. People think, oh, yeah, you just walked in, you you know. I had an in in that. I was working with Gary Moore. Okay. In... Uh, 89, around, 90? Somewhere around there. Yeah, 89. Mm -hmm. 88, 89. And he had the same manager as ACDC, a guy called Stuart Young. Uh, no relation to Angus and okay. Mal, by the way. Okay. I was gonna add, that was going to be the next question, but okay, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, completely different branch of the Youngs. <laughs> <laughs> so people think, oh, yeah, so uh, lucky might be the word, yes. But I got a chance to audition and... Dick Jones, the drum tech for ACDC, mm -hmm. told me afterwards that I was number 100 on the list. And they'd wow. auditioned all sorts of people. This is true. I'm not making this up. <laughs> they'd auditioned everybody. They would, people uh, would call and say, you know, don't tell my band, but I would really love to. <laughs> this is true. That I believe. <laughs> so you can imagine. And the person before, no, the day after me, day after or day before? Day before me was a very, very well-known drummer. I'm not going to say who it was. Okay. And he auditioned too. And he's like, incredible, this guy. And uh, I was the day after him. Dick was telling me this, Dick Jones. And... I did the audition and then uh, I was driving home after it and uh, I was going, I was kicking myself in the rear end. Like, why did you say that? Why did you do that? Why did you, why, why, why? <laughs> and there were no mobile phones because this was like, what, uh, 89. This was yeah. late, late 89. Okay. I got lost and I was an hour from my house and I got lost because I was kicking my rear end so much. Oh, no. Why did you? Why did you? Why didn't you do that? Because I was taking so long. I Because I got lost, I called my wife and I said, oh, I won't be long. I, I just took a wrong turn. And she said, how did you do? I said, oh, terrible, terrible. I will talk about it when uh, when I'm back. So um, got back home eventually, and uh, she walked up the path because she heard the car, and she said, "Oh, you did terrible, did you?" I said, "Yeah, really, really bad." She said, "They just called to say you got the gig." Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. So we went to the pub. <laughs> nice, good, way excellent. To well, well, I remember back then, I mean, you, you had mentioned blow up your video um, in the United States. ACDC was, I mean, it, they never really went away, but they, they, had, they hadn't had real big radio success. But when Thunderstruck came out, holy crap, that was, I remember the, the DJ in Connecticut where I was at, uh, in high school at the time, he took off whatever he was playing. I think it was Phil Collins. And he was like, okay, we're done with that. ACDC, brand new single, Thunderstruck. Boom. He played it. It was phenomenal. And I think he played it again when it was done. He said, we're doing this again. The, the drumming in that is it was insane. And then you were talking about the video to see the video because that was the next thing. I'm like, I got to see this video. Huge. Yeah. With like the Thunderdome thing and everybody's screaming. And you had those giant bass drums on either side of your head. That was awesome. Just a great setup. Nobody had ever seen that before. Was that was that your idea? How did that come about, the, the two extra bass drums? Yeah, that was my idea, believe it or not. Okay. I had dubbed on the recording. We usually, ACDC, do very, very little overdubbing. Okay. Okay. Uh, of course they do, but uh, even Brian is is live singing you know it's yeah it, sure he might he might dub the odd thing here or there afterwards but that's and we all used to play in the studio together like on stage exactly the same okay so um bruce fairburn the producer mm -hmm. asked me if i could go dum dum 
<laughs> That's what he asked for, dumb, dumb. Yeah, yeah. Can you go dumb, dumber? I said, I can go even dumber. <laughs> so uh, he seemed very surprised that I could actually go bum, bum. So I did that. Dum, dum, and it was a big sound, you know, like mm -hmm. you say. And I thought, how the hell can I reproduce this live? Mm -hmm. Of course, you could if you, you know, you mic up. Or bring to the front some sounds, you know, like the sound guy brings it up on stage, you know. So I thought, I, I'm going to. So I, I said to Dick Jones, who was the drum tech, I said, uh, Dick, tomorrow I'd like to have two bass drums. I've got them because I've got about three or four kits, you know. I said, I've got them. Can you set them up shoulder height next, you know, next to me? He said, What? <laughs> and this is a guy who's worked with Zed Zeppelin, you know, everybody, you know, he's been around. Like, what the hell? And I said, yeah, I want two patients either side. He said, all right, boss. <laughs> it was simple as that. I like that attitude. Yeah. And uh, I've seen other people do it now, of course. But it was iconic. I mean, it, it's totally iconic. Like JX mentioned, the video, huge for the MTV generation. And you caught everybody's eye, right? Because... Look, Malcolm and Cliff kind of sit there at the microphones and they sit there next to their amps. Brian and Angus are out front, but everyone's like, did you see that guy on the drums? Boom, boom, thunder, mm. that guy, you were an icon there. And then when you see it at Donington live in front of that amazing crowd, it's, it's mind-blowing. And, and no offense to anyone else, but I, I've seen ACDC live without you, and they do it well, but it's, it's just, it's not quite the same without you sir and i just wanted to to let you know that from from personal experience what you did was special on that track oh thanks very much that's that's incredible to hear you say that honestly there may be a few fans that vehemently disagree with you actually. Well, i know <laughs> i know that's why i have my own show so i can say what i want <laughs> i wish i could say what i want but there you go <laughs> No, people say, you know, what are you doing playing with? Uh, what's Chris Slade playing drums with ACDC for? It should be, you know, Phil Rudd. And, and of course it should be Phil Rudd. We all know that. Right. But he wasn't available. Mm -hmm. And what are they going to do? Oh, okay, Phil, until you're better, we're not going to work, okay? Ever. Again. <laughs> ever. So, you know, they wanted to work. So I was the result of that. So, you know, to all the people out there, the detractors, I'm a drummer. It's what I do. <laughs> That's right. A drummer's got to have his gig, you know. And we had another Welshman on the show last week, Mr. Jeff Downs, with whom you worked in Asia uh, for, for several years. In fact, I was in Amsterdam this past weekend for the first time in 18 years. And my wife said, well, what were you doing here 18 years ago? I think she's trying to get dirt on whichever girl I was with at the time. And I'm like, <laughs> don't fall well, for it. Yeah, like, I don't know exactly what I was doing, but I do know that Silent Nation from Asia came out that week because I had to map out a way on the internet to get to a record store so I could pick up Silent Nation the day it came out. What, what was it like touring with Jeff and, and doing the Asia gigs, you know, the early part of this century? It was, it was great. And off and on, I was with that band for seven years, actually. The, the most important thing, if you like, no, wrong word, but the thing that stands out is Guthrie Govan, the guitarist. Mm -hmm. And working with Guthrie for seven years, what a, a, a genius guitarist, genius. Real talent. A, any guitarist would agree with me here. Most people have not heard of him even, mainly people of the um, newer generation, if you like. They they know of Jimmy Page, possibly. Mm -hmm. uh, they know of David Gilmore. They've never heard of Guthrie Govan. And he is probably in the top 10 guitarists in the world. And that's been confirmed by the people he's been working with. So, uh, you know, like Pino Paladino, Guthrie Govan, what a... What a guitarist! He can play. He can play simple stuff, and then or and play really complex jazz stuff, and then he'll play blues and rip your heart out. Wow! So just unbelievable. He doesn't specialize in anything. He just plays guitar. He's been playing since he was four. He went 
to school when he was four and was surprised that nobody else had a guitar. So it just shows that, uh, and his brother is really talented too. So it's uh, it was a pleasure working with Guthrie. Well, tell uh, us a little bit about uh, Chris Slade timeline and who's in your band and some of the gigs you've got coming up this summer and, and in the fall. Yeah, we've um, even through the even through lockdown, we tended to work when there was a lull in um, COVID, if you like. We we were we've been together for ten years. Uh, the Chris Lake timelines on Facebook. So we were every country in Europe. We can't get into the states because of visas and things, which sure. is a great shame. I I think we can get into Canada. I haven't tried it yet, but we just come <laughs> back from say we just come back from Spain, for instance. So we work all the time. They're an amazing band. They've known each other. They're only, the younger guys, they're only in their 30s. They've known each other since they were 10. And they've been playing together since they were 10. Wow. So there's a great communication there. And they're some of the best musicians I've ever worked with. And it's nice too, because it's a, it's a, career retrospective for you so you can see how you know you played with all the different styles all the different bands that you were in uh, up to and including acdc kind of gives the fans a, a little snapshot of your career yeah hence the name timeline because right. it's my it's my timeline mm-hmm. if you like. right. mm-hmm. and yes it's fantastic for you to play acdc and we have the singer that can do that by the way which is amazing. Yeah. I don't know how he does that without his voice box just exploding, but he sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Bun Davis is his name. Okay. He's, he's been bun since he was four, by the way. <laughs> uh, it's not a play on Bon or anything like that. You know, it's... Uh, That's his own deal. Yeah. He was uh, walking around as a kid going, bun, 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 bun. <laughs> <laughs> so his family dubbed him Bun, you know. A bit like Sting, if you like, with the sweater. You know, yeah. That, uh, so, uh, you know, we've got two singers. Stevie G is the other singer. He okay. sings the other stuff that isn't ACDC. <laughs> and we need that, by the way. Yeah. Right. Because the material is so diverse, you know. But the other play ACDC and Uriah Heep and The Firm, all in the same show is quite something. And I thought, I think you mentioned, I, I thought I saw somewhere that when you play the ACDC stuff with the Timeline Band, you can kind of add some extra stuff in there that perhaps the Young Brothers would not let you do? Yes, uh, yeah. I can play drums. I keep it, flair. I keep it, yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the word. Okay. And yes, we recorded some of it too. And we've got it on a, a CD, some of the stuff. And of course, all the other stuff as well. Earthband and uh, as I said, Uriah Heap. And is it's, that available uh, on the on your website? It's available on uh, yes, on Timeline Chris Slade Timeline. Okay. Uh, but if somebody requested it on my website, which I don't think it's on there, I'm not quite sure, but it will be now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody, check out Chris uh, the Chris Slade Timeline uh, on Facebook. He's got his website on Twitter. You're at Slade timeline should be such a fun killer amazing show doing dates in the uk and and europe throughout the summer into the fall doing some festivals unfortunately chris we could talk to you all day you've got some amazing stories but we do have to to let you go get on with your day we we appreciate you being on the ugly american werewolf in london and anytime uh, you've got something to promote we'd love to have you back on thank you okay i've i've really enjoyed it guys uh my sort of uh looking back yeah it's uh, yeah. it's really nice i don't get to do it too often except when i'm on stage playing it yeah <laughs> but, i mean like matt so, said anytime you want to come back anytime. well thanks a lot that would be tremendous it really would thank you thanks. so thank you we, we really thanks. appreciate it mac thank you very much thanks chris have a great day and uh jackson cheers thank you thanks a lot Well, that wraps our interview with Chris Slade, the very interesting and well-traveled drummer. What an amazing career. I mean, think about it. You know, anyone who's been with that many top-notch, world-famous bands from around the world over their career, I don't know that I can get anybody else that's even close, to be honest with you. I mean, think about it. Tom Jones, 
Olivia Newton-John, Uriah Heep, Gary Newman, David Gilmore, The Firm with Jimmy Page, Paul Rogers, and Tony Franklin. We didn't ask him nearly enough firm questions. We're going to have to have him back for The Firm alone. Not to mention Gary Moore. And then ACDC being the iconic drummer, beating those big bass drums on either side of his kit with his hands. Thunder on Thunderstruck. It left a big impression on American audiences, I can tell you that. The video and the song were huge, obviously because of Angus and Brian and Malcolm and all the guys, but sometimes a band need, needs a little bit of a kick in the ass, you know, a little something new. And I think a new drummer especially can bring that to them. And a guy like Chris, who's played with so many people, of course we had to get Asia in there, because you know we're big Asia fans, and we had Jeff Downs and Carl Palmer on the last two weeks before this show. We didn't even get to the Michael Schenker group, and he's quite a character. I'm sure there'd be some great... Michael Schenker stories. So we'd love to have Chris back, and I encourage everyone to go see Chris Slade Timeline, who's on tour this summer, you know, throughout England and Europe. Yeah, so July, he's doing five or six dates. Some in the UK, I see Bilston, I see Somerset, Chesterfield, Settle. He's going to do some festivals and stuff in Europe. Uh, he's going to be in London at the New Cross Inn on Friday, September the 9th. Uh, and so I hope a lot of people in my neck of the woods, me included, will have an opportunity to see him there, but they continue on the continent and in the UK, September, October, kind of through the rest of the year. And you can find chrisslade.com, uh, and of course he's on Twitter, Facebook, Chris Slade, Chris Slade Timeline. What a guy, and what an amazing career. I can't thank him enough for having him on. He's got more stories than the average rock and roller, just because he's been through so many decades, so many genres, and so many different types of bands, and God love him. He's in his late 70s. He's still doing it. He's still out there playing live and getting people into his rock and roll. And I was checking out his set list. You know, it, it does span things from all the bands that he's been in. So you're going to get a little bit of Man for Man in there. You're going to get a little Uriah Heep. You get a little Gary Moore in there. Uh, but it is a lot of ACDC. Uh, and like he said, he has two singers, one to do the ACDC stuff and one to do everything else. But you might see some surprises in there. A little time from his... A little song from his time with David Gilmore, I think, uh, is would delight some people if they got to see it. So uh, I encourage you to go check him out. Super guy. Uh, an amazing, amazing career. Uh, and hopefully we can have him on again soon. Now, as usual, folks, we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. You tweet us or DM us at Ugly underscore Werewolf at ActionJack72. You can also check us out on YouTube. Our Ugly American Werewolf in London YouTube page is getting a lot more views these days. Uh, and we appreciate that. We're playing with Instagram a little bit. So we're trying to broaden our horizons as it comes to social media and give you other ways to interact with us. But as usual, we want you to follow us and also subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts, be it Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google Play. Good Pods has been very good to us. We're usually in the top 10 music uh, history, music commentary podcasts on a weekly basis. Great way to interact with other podcasters. And if you think about it, guys, if you like the show, hey, go out and give us a positive review. Wherever you get your podcast, it just helps us find more rock and rollers like yourselves, helps us grow the show, and if you send it to us or we get wind of it, hey, we might just read it here on the show. So next week, I'm not even sure, again, what I'm going to tell you here. I, I'm not sure which show we're going to do. We've got some in the can because we've had a lot going on. There's a lot of concerts coming up here really soon. We want to talk about those on the show as well, some really cool stuff that we're very excited about. So as usual, all you rock and rollers all around the world, from the wolf, be cool and stay safe. <laughs>